0: Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 28th of April, 2019. This morning we are joined by Pastor Andrew Campbell, who takes his reading from Ruth, Chapter 2, and brings us a message entitled, From Bad to Worse. Great to be with you. It's a great privilege to be asked to speak at your, your Spring Bible Conference. And uh, thank you for Clifford Mo- Pastor Clifford Morrison being involved in inviting me along and for the elders and for the oversight and giving me this opportunity to speak. Um, We're looking at the book of Ruth over five messages. To be honest, I'd need ten to do it justice. There's only 85 verses in the book of Ruth, uh, but we're going to try and do it in five, condense it down to five messages uh, this morning and this evening again at 6.30 and then Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. Can I encourage you uh, through the week to read the book of Ruth and every time you come to it, just read it as if it's the first time that you've read it. We do become over-familiar at times with the the Word of God, but uh, look at the book of Ruth, 85 verses, 15-20 minutes uh, should take you to read through this wonderful book. But this morning, we're just going to look at the first five verses of the book of Ruth, uh, the prologue, and we'll read together from Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Joshua, Judges, And then Ruth. So here we come to Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 and this is God's word. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were apathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons, these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Killian died, so that the woman was left the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Ending our reading at verse five, we thank God for his word. The Book of Ruth is really one of the greatest short stories ever written. It's a story of love and loyalty and redemption. One writer says it's a story of affliction and comfort, abasement and conversion, great loss and great redemption. That's it well summed up in those few words. And as we look at the book of Ruth, we will see very clearly God's providential care for his people. We will see his absolute sovereignty over all events, and of course, as the title of our series tells us, we will see a wonderful picture of our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people maybe consider the book of Ruth a bit lightweight, a bit of a Mills and Boone break from all the heavy prophetic and historical writings, but it's much more than that. It's much more than an idyllic and charming story about people persevering against all the odds and living to tell the tale. Rather, this is a book packed with deep, profound insights on the character of God, and it retains its lasting contemporary relevance. It's bang up to date. And in the patriarchal society that these people lived, God uses two widows, two ordinary women, Naomi and Ruth, as part of his great redemptive plan. Women who were faithful, women who were humble, and centuries later, in the same town, in a stable, God would once again demonstrate how he uses humble people to accomplish his purposes. Because at the end of the book of Ruth, we're told that Boaz has a grandson whose name is David, and from this line would come the Messiah our kinsman, redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Although this book is written at the time of the Judges, the book of Ruth forms a very sharp contrast with that book. We see spiritual light in Ruth, spiritual darkness in Judges, purity in Ruth, immorality in Judges, devotion in Ruth, and disloyalty in Judges. The faithfulness of a Gentile woman in Ruth, the faithlessness of God's covenant people in the book of Judges. The book of Ruth will give us a, a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of light in an otherwise very dark, dismal period in the history of God's people. This is a book for ordinary people. And it's a book about. About ordinary people. They're not prophets or judges or kings. They're ordinary people like you and I facing everyday situations such as bereavement, hardship, romance, marriage, relationships, making decisions, providing food for your family, how to deal with your in-laws, all our joys and all our sorrows. This book is really everyone's story. It's about the hardships we face in life. And although the book is written in the time of the judges in a period between 1250 and 1050 BC, the hardships and trials that its characters face transcend time and culture. It's bang up to date. And in the world that we live in, we all need to hear stories like this, where true love triumphs over a multitude of adversity. We need to be reminded that we can always look beyond our circumstances, beyond our trials, beyond our disappointments, to a brighter day. This is a book for people whose lives have been marked by tragedy and disappointment, where at times we seem to move from one crisis to the next with no let-up. This is a book for people who wonder, is it really worthwhile living a godly life, a life of integrity, and a life of faithfulness? At the outset of our study, it's very important that we lay out some principles as we come to to study this wonderful book. The central figure in the book is not Naomi or Ruth or Boaz. God is the central figure in the book, in his complete providence and his absolute sovereignty over all the events of our lives, the macro and the micro. It's vital that we don't make a human character the hero of the story and in still doing marginalize God and then miss the main message of the book. Secondly, the book is written essentially from Naomi's perspective rather than Ruth's. We read the prologue together. If we, when we come to the epilogue at the end of chapter 4, it's where book ends. The writer speaks of Naomi's husband her sons, her daughters-in-law, her grief, her her God, her relations, her land, and her grandson. We're observing events as they relate to Naomi, and we are viewing God through a woman's eyes. Unsurprisingly, as we make our way through the book, you'll notice that the book is loaded with feminine issues, such as widowhood, marriage, childbirth, Barrenness, single parenting. And Naomi in recent years has has received something of a a makeover. No longer is she viewed as a a sad, bitter old lady. She has been upgraded to the status of a female Job. Carolyn James says Historically, we have wept with Job and criticised Naomi, but no more we will weep with Naomi too. And as we come to our study, at each, in each chapter, there's a very significant event. In chapter 1, it's at a crossroads between Moab and Bethlehem. Chapter 2, the focus shifts to the barley field in Bethlehem. Chapter 3, the threshing floor in Bethlehem. And the story concludes at the city gate in chapter 4. Three things this morning we see in the first five verses. First of all, we see Elimelech's decision everyone makes bad decisions. I could write a book on the bad decisions that I have made, some major, some minor. In January 2012, the captain of the Costa Concordia, Francesco Shinetti, made a decision to sail his cruise ship close to the island of Giglio to impress the passengers. And there were three reasons he wanted to do this. First of all, to impress the passengers, Secondly, to salute a retired captain who lived on the island and also as a favor for the vessel's main chef, who was from Giglio. He said he'd often performed these so-called flybys to impress passengers. But that was a decision that caused the ship to hit some rocks, eventually sink, causing the deaths of 32 people. The overall cost of the disaster was 1.2 billion pounds. The captain was sentenced to 16 years in prison for multiple manslaughter and for abandoning his ship. Probably seemed like a good idea at the time, but it was undoubtedly the worst decision of his life. We all make bad decisions from time to time, but the important thing is that we learn from them. The beginning of the book of Ruth tells us of a man called Elimelech who made a very poor decision. In fact, it was much more than that. It was a deliberate act of disobedience and a deliberate lack of trust in the Lord. Those well-known verses in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 stand as an indictment against Elimelech. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Elimelech certainly did not trust in the Lord with all his heart, and he most certainly did lean on his own understanding, and all with tragic consequences. First verse tells us this little family who lived the time of the judges in the land of Bethlehem. Bethlehem ironically means house of bread, and we're told there was a famine in the land. That's very important. The famine was God's judgment upon his people for their disobedience. If God's people were faithful to him and faithful to the covenant, the clear promise was that God would bless them abundantly. But if they would disobey him, if they were unfaithful, there would be consequences, there would be judgment. And this famine is a picture of judgment. The picture of the children of Israel at this particular time makes for very, very uncomfortable reading. There was widespread idolatry, social injustice, sexual immorality, and a perpetual unfaithfulness to the Lord as the the nation literally imploded and hit rock bottom. These are dark days in Israel. The last verse of the book of Judges tells us Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So famine had come to the land, and this man called Elimelech, he's very ordinary, he's not like the judges in the previous book, he's anonymous. And his name, ironically, means, my God is king. Obviously, this man's parents were believers in God, and his name should have been a comfort to him this time of testing. But he took matters into his own hands, showing that really God wasn't king of his life. And he made a decision to go to the pagan land of Moab. Moab is situated in the south east of the Dead Sea. Bethlehem is in the northwest of the Dead Sea. This journey Would have taken them about seven to ten days. He leaned on his own understanding. He did what was right in his own eyes, and this proved to be very costly. It was a a decision based on human rationale rather than divine revelation. See, whenever trouble comes to our lives, when we have a big decision to make about our future or our family, how do we respond? Do we always trust in the Lord with all our heart? Or do we at times tend to lean on our own understanding? First thing we need to do when trouble comes, when a crisis arrives, when it's decision time, the very first thing we need to do is to pray, to seek God's face, to plead for grace, to ask for wisdom to plead for guidance. Eliminak's trial was famine. Ours will be different. Ours may be illness, redundancy, financial hardship, family disputes, people problems. The most important thing to do, as Joseph Scriven reminds us, have we trials and temptations Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Elimelech didn't take it to the Lord in prayer. Off he headed with his wife Naomi and his two young sons. It was a decision that took them from the house of bread to a graveyard in Moab. Maybe it was a decision made in haste. The famine was biting hard. There's no food in the larder. The children are hungry. Now, as they say, far away fields, look green. And we're told there that Elimelech went to sojourn. there. one translation is that he went to live for a while. This was only supposed to be a a short-term fixed until the famine was over. However, things didn't work out according to plan. And tragically, verse 3 tells us that Elimelech died in Moab. What a terrible decision. Secondly, we see his son's disobedience. You look at verse 4, we're told that a sons in direct contravention to God's word married two Moabite women. There was a, a clear prohibition about welcoming Moabite people into the congregation. And if there was a child born to that family, they were outside the congregation for 400 years, the 10th generation. The king of Moab on one occasion, Balak, had hired Balaam to curse Israel. And the level of Moabite idolatry was obscene. But the disobedience of these two sons of Elimelech had seared their conscience. And this abominable false religion became their way of life. Their father had paved the way by leaning on his own understanding. And now the terrible consequences of that decision begin and continue to unravel. Elimelech and his two sons are a beacon to us all here today to warn us about the danger of disobedience. And as we think of Elimelech, we think of another weak man called Lot who brought great trouble to his family by his bad choices. The man from whom the nation of Moab traces its roots, following an incestuous relationship with his daughter. Disobedience always brings trouble. This is the result of drifting from the Lord. And this is the result of drifting from the clear teaching of his word. Backsliding is costly. Backsliding is dangerous backsliding is painful and the lord may bring trouble into a person's life to get their attention i have met people in my life who are backsliders there's no one more miserable than a backslider maybe that's where you are today you've grown cold in your relationship with the lord jesus because people have annoyed you disappointed you grieved you and you've taken your eyes off jesus we need to be careful about the nature of our relationships. We need to advise our young people not to go out with non-Christians because it will result in trouble and it will grieve the Lord. And as you progress in your career, there may be an opportunity to go into business with non-Christians. It may seem attractive, it may pay the bills, but it's in direct contravention to God's Word. Elimelech starts the ball rolling, his two sons pick up where he left off, far from home and far from God. And see, the implications, I believe, in this story are that if you have a desire to get away from God, he'll allow you to go. And if your aim is to find satisfaction outside of him, sometimes he will let you find it. But listen, it's only for a while. The two sons were called malon, which means sickly or failing, and killing, which means wasting away. So their prospects didn't look too good. And sure enough, the two sons died also. I believe you'll go a long way in Scripture to find a sadder family history than what we have in these first five verses of the book of Ruth, this prologue five verses which cover a 10-year period famine bereavement childlessness widowhood unspeakable sorrow this is his son's disobedience but lastly we see naomi's desolation not only did naomi have to face the horror of losing her husband 10 years pass and her two daughters-in-law, Orpha and Ruth, haven't had any children. And as you know, in that culture, it was a woman's business to have children. And the inability of these two women to conceive was a disaster for this particular family because the survival of Elimelech's name depend on these two women giving birth. At least one son to carry on the family name. And you can just imagine Naomi pleading with the Lord for a breakthrough. Her family's future hung precariously in the balance. And month after month, there's no breakthrough. There's no answer to her prayer. No light at the end of the tunnel. Many sleepless nights waiting for an answer. And she must have felt beleaguered by the lack of intervention on God's and and God. And then to put the tin hat on it, her two sons die. What a desolation she has to face. The absolute worst scenario, a widow, and now her two sons die. And this curtain seems to have gone down right at the very start of the book on a Limelech's family. And in that male-dominated culture, a woman was ascribed value simply on her relationship to men. She was measured by the number of sons she would produce. Everything had been looking so rosy for Naomi, a husband and two sons. Now she's bereft of hope, she's a widow, she's childless, she's far from home, she's reached ground zero in her life. What a disaster, and this is a fallout, all a fallout from a bad decision to go your own way, to lean on your own understanding. To trust your own instincts, to walk in the flesh to Moab, rather than to be in the Spirit in Bethlehem. And now there are three men buried in the pagan land of Moab. Elimelech wasn't content with a little less in Bethlehem. He wanted luxury in Moab. And his view was short-sighted, motivated by the world that is seen rather than the world that is unseen. And these women are facing the deadest of dead ends. And there's no let-up in the desolation. And we will see tonight... Naomi doesn't respond particularly well to her desolation. She responds with outbursts against the Lord. Naomi does retain her faith in God, but she blames him for all the trouble, for all the misery that's landed at her door. See, in Naomi's eye, God is now her enemy. It's as if God has put a knife right into her heart, twisted it, and thrust it even deeper. And perhaps as you sit here this morning, you may feel a bit like Naomi, waiting for that big prayer breakthrough. Maybe a prayer for a a loved one who's not yet a Christian, a husband or wife, a child or grandchild, a health issue that's been troubling you, a family dispute that has not yet been resolved. And perhaps you sense this morning that God has abandoned you and you feel Naomi's desolation. This story is in front of us this morning. It's 3,000 years old. It's in front of us this morning that we can enter right into it and to learn to be like Naomi and ask the honest questions ask those burning questions that resolve deep in our hearts. Naomi's story here this morning invites us to acknowledge that we have struggles, that we have prayers that are not yet answered the way we want them to, and at times we we have to admit that we don't really understand what's going on in our lives. Even if we're on the road for many years with Christ. At times if we're really honest, we struggle to fully trust Him. But remember this morning, we don't base our trust on our circumstances, honor or our emotions. We base our trust on the Word of God and His unfailing promises. See, we can't see behind the scenes. God really does move in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. And we shouldn't minimize or gloss over Naomi's desolation, Naomi's pain, because then we minimize our own pain. need to understand Naomi's desolation, her doubts, her distress, her angst. When things are falling apart in our lives, when there's no miraculous healing, when there's no voice to calm the trouble, see? When God doesn't seem to show up, perhaps we will come disillusioned. And perhaps the times we put up a show, we can all be great pretenders as Christians, resorting to damage control responses, wearing a mask. People ask you, how are you? And you say, fine. Fine's not a good word. doesn't have to be like this. The Bible is not like this. The book of Ruth is not like this. It's honest. It's literally warts and all. The unavoidable truth is that we see it in the life of Naomi. We see it in our counterpart, Job. Our faith can take a severe beating. And I know, I read the book of Psalms. I've read the whole Bible. I know God wants us to be honest with him. And in many ways we will meet him in new ways in our times of desperation and desolation. So if you're reading the first five verses for the first time in your life, you think the story's over before it's even begun. There's nothing left to tell. There's no point going on. But in essence, this is when the story really gets going. And the spotlight moves to the all-female cast. See, God isn't finished with Naomi yet. She may feel the cold winds of desolation. She's experienced profound, deep, stunning pain. She will lash out in frustration. We'll see that tonight. But she still holds on to God. And much more importantly, God still holds on to her. This is not the end of the story. Because God is working behind the scenes. He's always working behind the scenes. This is his speciality, turning seemingly hopeless situations around into hopeful situations for our good and for his glory. As they say, it's always darkest before the dawn. This is true in the book of Ruth. God uses ordinary people. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that God shows what is foolish, in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. God uses weak people. He uses broken people. He uses fragile people. He uses ordinary people, people like Joni Erickson who thought her life was over, pointless, meaningless, after her diving accident back in the late 1960s, being a quadriplegic. But Joni Erickson has touched thousands of lives with her testimony and her unwavering trust in the risen Christ. This is what she said once. The power of the good news is released in your life when you allow your weakness to showcase the awesome might and love Of our Savior. And as the rest of the book of Ruth unfolds, we will see these women coming back from the very depths of despair through the Lord's providential guidance, protection, and provision. God wasn't finished with Naomi yet, and he hasn't finished with us yet. Things may look for you this morning personally very bleak, Complicated, bewildering. God may seem invisible, but God's in the story. You look around and you see brokenness and you see pain, but listen, God has a plan. He always has a plan. You just haven't seen it yet and the fruition of his plan may not happen in your lifetime it may happen after you leave this scene of time through your children or your children's children but the impact of all of our ordinary lives should point everyone to our kinsman redeemer the lord jesus christ we thank god for his word to our hearts this morning we're going to continue